Well, for those who don't know me, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here, and I lead the student ministry. And today, uh, we're going to be attempting two things. We're going to be highlighting our seniors. Uh, So once a year, I give, we have this uh, Senior Sunday where I uh, give sort of a exhortation to our seniors, which is hopefully applicable to everybody. Um, And we're also finishing our our last week in our After uh, Easter series. Uh, Next week, Pastor Brent is going to be jumping into a series called Habits, and uh, throughout the summer, he's going to take us through spiritual disciplines. And uh, so this is our last week in uh, After Easter. So this is, you know, I, I tried to think through a good passage that I would give my students, really any of my students, and a passage that I would give anybody, and hopefully it's any passage in the Bible, but this one stuck out uh, because it's about mission. And uh, this is John's version of the, uh, of the Great Commission. It's uh, Jesus uh, is commissioning his disciples. He's sending them out. Uh, and so I thought that this was uh, uh, very applicable. And uh, what, what is Jesus doing here? Well, after the, the disciples have sat under his teaching for three years, uh, he taught them uh, how you know, how to uh, follow Christ. He taught them all about the gospel. Now that he's risen from the dead, uh, they've graduated, I guess, in a sense, and he's sending them out. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So that's the theme of the passage, is mission. And, you know, I want every student, uh, and especially those who are going off to college, to be seen uh, and to feel uh, in their hearts that they are sent out by Jesus. Right? Uh, you're sort of like in the position of the disciples. Now that you've sat in the student ministry for a number of years, uh, now that you've graduated, uh, now you are being commissioned by the risen Lord to go and spread the gospel, to go and proclaim the fact that he is, in fact, alive. Um, and, you know, of course, this is true for every Christian. Uh, we should see ourselves as missionaries. Uh, we should see ourselves uh, even as, as little-a apostles. Um, People who are sent out by the risen Christ to proclaim the resurrection. Uh, the problem is that many of us do not have that sense of mission in our lives. Uh, many of us don't have a sense of urgency uh, to proclaim the gospel. Many of us, uh, you know, we don't even remember the last time we did share the gospel, or we don't remember the last time we talked about Jesus with someone. And it's very easy, you know, in my own life even, to drift without purpose to go to work, to go to class, and to not see yourself as sent, to not see yourself as on mission. And, you know, that happens for uh, a lot of different reasons. I just want to highlight two reasons this morning. First of all, you know, especially from a college student perspective, you know, I I remember when I just, when I had just graduated from high school, uh, I remember the sense of freedom that I felt. You know, and I don't, I don't know if any of you remember that, that freedom. Uh, you know, you get your license, but you're still sort of bogged down with this whole high school schedule thing. And then, you don't have to go to high school anymore. And you still have to go to college, obviously. But even in between classes, it's like, you know, I can go to Sonic and get a Coke Zero if I want to. You know? I can, I can even skip class. I can skip three or four classes without failing it. You know? There's this newfound sense of freedom. And what happens with this newfound sense of freedom? Well, you can spend your time any way you want. You, know? <laughs> you don't have Lucas breathing down your neck telling you to go share the gospel. You can do anything you want. And it's very easy, it's very easy, instead of being excited about the gospel, it's very easy to be excited about other things. 
Right? I got this grade in my class. I'm friends with this person and so on. It's very easy uh, to sort of coast, uh, to sort of bathe in this freedom. So that's, that's one way that it's, uh, you can lose your sense of mission. It's this newfound freedom where you, don't have to, you can do anything you want to. Um, and another reason that, uh, that, that we lose our sense of mission, and th- this is what plagued the disciples, another reason is it's easy to become intimidated or fearful for, of sharing your faith, uh, especially on a college campus. What will people think of me? What will my friends think of me? Uh, you know, I personally, uh, when, you know, and I don't even know where this comes from, when I go to share the gospel, I immediately think in my head, I don't want these people to think I'm a freakazoid, you know? Because I don't know if you've thought about the Christian faith a lot. Hopefully you have. But, you know, what, is the, what are the claims of the Christian faith? Well, we, we claim that this Jewish guy, <laughs> this Jewish Middle Eastern guy who lived 2,000 years ago, is alive. Right? Just let that sink in. He's alive, and he's not just alive, but he is God. Second person of the Trinity. Uh, we, the, the Christian faith is a particular faith. It's a pe- uh, peculiar faith. And for many of us, it uh, can be very paralyzing to try to share the gospel with people. Uh, we don't want to come across as obnoxious. Uh, we don't want to come across as uh, weirdos. We don't want to come across in, in the wrong way at all. And of course, the Christian faith is peculiar, but it's not weird. It's true. But we're fearful uh, of how we will come across, and so uh, it paralyzes us. And as we come to this passage this morning, the disciples are paralyzed by fear. You see that in verse 11, that they are fearful. And they had just found out that the Messiah, this man that they had traveled three years with, not only died, but now he's alive. And instead of going off and telling people, they've locked the doors. And why have they locked the doors? Well, for the very simple reason that they don't know how to engage the world in confidence. How can they go and tell people about Jesus in confidence? Knowing what they're saying. They don't know how to do it, and so they're fearful. And what Jesus does in this passage is he comes to them and he arms them with confidence, and then he sends them out on their mission. And uh, particularly what he does is he arms them with two things. He arms them with two things, and this is going to be the, uh, the two points in our, passage, uh, in our sermon this morning. He arms them with a word, and he arms them with his own power. Those are the two things that he arms his apostles with, and then he says, go. No more hiding, no more closing the doors, go. All right, so those are the two points that we're going to be uh, discussing this morning. He arms them with uh, his own word, and then he arms them with his own power. So let's go ahead and uh, jump into the, this first point here. Christ gives the disciples a word. And it's a very important word that gives them the confidence to go and to face the world. What is that word? Well, before we look at the, uh, the word, the word is peace. But before we look at that, I just want to look at here, here at the context here. The disciples, as, as I just said, had just found out that Jesus was alive. Peter and John, if you remember from a few weeks ago, went to the tomb and they discovered the tomb empty. And John tells us that Peter and John believed that Jesus was alive. Okay? Uh, they didn't doubt. They believed the truth that he had risen from the dead. And logically, what is the next thing that they, that they should at least want to do? Which, well, go tell people. Go tell others about this news. But the very first that they, thing that they do 
is they do not go out, but they run home. <laughs> and, and they don't just run home, they close the door. And they don't just close the door, they lock the door. Okay? So they all together, they all go home and they huddle and they close the door and they lock the door. And John tells us that they're fearful. Now, why are they fearful? Well, if you uh, look here at verse 19, uh, they say that the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They were afraid of the Jews. Now, why were they afraid of the Jews? Well, put very simply, they were afraid of what the Jews would think. And I just want you to put yourselves in their shoes. It's not that they didn't believe that Jesus was alive. But they were afraid that the Jews wouldn't believe their story. They were afraid that, in fact, the Jews would accuse them of what? Stealing the body? Of setting a a conspiracy theory? Right? So they were afraid of what the Jews would say, and they were afraid of how they would answer. How could they convince the Jewish people that this Jewish Messiah that had been condemned as a heretic was, in fact, alive? It petrified him. What argument could they bring that would make the Jews believe? And in fact, you know, the biggest persecutors of the church, if you read the book of Acts, it wasn't the pagans. Right? It was the religious elite. Right? Who stood over and approved of the first martyrdom? Paul the Pharisee. Or Saul the Pharisee. Right? They were afraid of what the Jews would say, and they didn't know how to answer the Jews. And so, instead of stepping out into the world in faith, what did they do? They locked the doors. And they hid. Right? Don't you feel that way sometimes? Afraid of what other people will think. And it's not that you don't have faith. It's that you just don't know how to answer about the truth of the resurrection. Jesus is alive. Well, where's the proof? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know. Sometimes when I share the gospel, I can even you know, feel it in my brain like I'm almost apologetic. Like, I know this sounds crazy, but, you know. But that's how we feel sometimes. And it's not of the Holy Spirit, it's of the flesh. It's fear. Uh, it, 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 it's, uh, it's irrational. But it's how we feel sometimes. And it's not like, you know, we're being persecuted for our faith. But, you know, the Christian faith doesn't, you know, sometimes it seems illogical from the outside. You know, I remember when I was uh, working at a uh, fast food restaurant one time in uh, college. Somehow we got into this conversation that I believed in Jesus. And the manager walks into this conversation. And I just, I remember that she didn't even say anything, you know, substantial. But I remember that she rolled her eyes. (laughs) And she says, "Don't, don't involve me in this conversation. You know, that's, that's, not, that's not persecution, hardly. But at the same time, it did sink into my bones that, oh man, she doesn't even want to talk about Jesus. She sees it as irrational. And what is it, what is it easy to do? It's easy, in, you know, rather than engaging the culture, it's easy to create alternative cultures. Right? It's easy to, 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 to close the door and to lock it. And instead of, uh, you know, as Christians, engaging the world, it's easy to create alternative Christian cultures. You know? I remember when I was growing up in youth group, and don't hear me dogging on this. It's, it's, well, I guess I am dogging on it right now. But you know, the WWJD bracelets, the fish things, 
And those aren't bad in, in, you know, insofar you know, as it, you know, it's true. What would Jesus do? We should be doing what Jesus did. But it's easy to create Christian cultures instead of engaging the culture. And this is exactly what the apostles are doing. They're locking the doors behind them. What are they going to do if, if we try to argue that Jesus is alive? They're going to kill us. And so they're afraid. And in the midst of that fear, now what's, what's fascinating about this passage is John makes sure that we understand that the door is locked, or closed and locked. And <laughs> Jesus comes to give them a word. And notice that he doesn't knock. He just breaks into their fear. And Jesus does this a lot in his resurrection appearances. There's something about his resurrection body that's able to sort of transcend the limits of our own physicality. But what he does is they're, they're, they're in the midst of this fear, unable to break outside of it. And what does Jesus do? He breaks into the middle of the fear. And he gives them this word. What is, what is that word? If you want to look here at, uh, at the end of verse 19, he says this, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. Jesus gives them a word of peace. Okay. Now, on, on the one hand, you know, this, this greeting is not uncommon uh, in the Hebrew world. Uh, peace be with you. But Jesus repeats this phrase twice. And, you know, in the middle of repeating this phrase, he shows them his wounds. The wounds that the very Jews that they're afraid of had inflicted upon him. The wounds that the people outside of the locked doors had drilled through his hands. He shows them these wounds. And on either side of showing them these wounds, he gives them this word, peace. Now what is, what is Jesus trying to, uh, to say to his disciples? What is he trying to get across to them? Jesus is trying to, t- uh, to get them to understand what he's accomplished through his resurrection. Uh, Jesus has accomplished the apostles' peace. He's accomplished their peace. Um, and here, here's what I mean by this. When Jesus was on the cross, the worst of the worst that the world could throw at him was thrown at him. Right? Uh, the Romans gave him their worst punishment ever. That was, that was, that was when they were at their prime. The, the whipping, uh, the, the crucifixion, the nails, all of the pain that that entailed. They gave him the worst. The Jewish people gave Jesus their worst. They gave him over to be killed. Satan and his minions gave Jesus their worst. He felt the brunt of the evil and the wrath and the persecution and the hatred of the world, and it tore him apart. It tore him apart. And yet three days later, what? He walks out of that tomb. And what that means is that the worst of the evil and the chaos and the hatred of the world has been overcome. It's been overcome. The worst hatred, the worst rejection, the worst pain that anyone could ever experience has been defeated. And what that means for the disciples and what that means for us is that death is no longer the final enemy. See, Death no longer has the last say. Persecution 
no longer has the last say. Rejection no longer has the last say. Because he's defeated them all. And if Christ has defeated everything that the disciples are fearing, everything that they're afraid to go face, Christ has defeated, that means that they can be at peace. And and not only that, they can engage the world with a calm that is otherworldly. They can die without fearing death. They can be killed without fearing being killed. They can face persecution without fearing that persecution because all of it has been overcome by Christ's resurrection. Uh, If Jesus has gone through the worst of it and has come out the other side, that means that we can go through the worst of anything and come out on the other side, you see? That's what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. If I've gone through it and I've defeated it, that means that you can encounter death and persecution without fear, with peace. And all of the disciples, minus one, were martyred. And they were martyred with peace because they did not fear the last enemy anymore because it had been defeated. Uh, Jesus has been through it, and that means that we can go through it. That's what Jesus is trying to say. And just to, just to illustrate this, you know, the, um, the youth, a couple, a couple weeks ago, we went to uh, Loco Ropes. Has anybody ever been to Loco Ropes? Raise your hand. Yeah. Ben, of course. Uh, anyways, we go to Loco Ropes, and it's this, this ropes course in the woods, and you're sliding on ropes, and you're climbing trees. But they have this one obstacle where you climb up about four stories high, and you clip on a, uh, a little uh, wire, and you, and you just jump. You just jump off, and that's, that's supposed to be fun, right? <laughs> and, and, so, and so everybody's going up, and I'm like, well, I guess I'll go up too. And I am petrified of heights. I just, I, I can't, I, you know, I, I get all, uh, what is it, my heart starts palpitating, I get all sweaty, my palms get sweaty and stuff. So I'm climbing up, and my, my palms are getting sweatier and sweatier. And I get up to the top, and they say, here it is. And I'm just like, wow, that's just, that's just a ledge. That's, that's it. You just jump. And of course, Ben Paxson, he's the first one. He, he just clips on, jumps right up, you know, just goes down. I'm like, dang it. You know? And then Darren Adams, I feel less bad with Darren Adams because he's a manly man. So he jumps off. He's alive. And then I get up and I clip on and I, and I look over the edge and I'm like, this is not happening, you know? <laughs> I, you know I start palpitating. And, and, and I'm like, I just, I'm sorry, I just can't do that. I'm just going to walk down. So I, I take off my clip. And lo and behold, Angela Adams is after me. And she clips in, jumps right off. I'm like, dang it. You know? <laughs> and they're all down there like, it's okay. I'm like, man, if a girl can do this, I have to do this, you know? <laughs> and so I get on, and I'm like, listen, three people have already been through the worst here. And so I close my eyes, and I just sip off. And it's the worst experience, right? It's the worst experience I've ever been through through. But I get down to the ground and Darren Adams asks me, he's like, so, would you do it again? I'm like, yeah, I would do it again. Because three people have already been through it and they lived. Miracle of miracles. And then I went through it and I lived. And that means that jumping off a cliff is not the worst thing anymore. Right? Jesus has died the worst death. Hated, mocked, spat upon, and yet he's alive. We 
can die the worst death, and we will live. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Listen, you're afraid to go and declare the resurrection? Here's my wounds. I've come out on the other side. I'm alive. Don't be afraid. Have peace. That's the first thing that Jesus is trying to teach them. He's alive. All right, what's, what's the second thing that Jesus gives them? The second thing is that he gives them his power. He gives them his power. Let's go ahead and look here at uh, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. All right, so what is, what is Jesus doing here? Well, he breathes on them. Which is weird, you know? You know, what if he didn't have, what if he had a bad breath or something? What is, what is the meaning of this breath? Jesus breathes on them. Well, he tells them, by me breathing, I am bestowing upon you the Holy Spirit. And uh, what Jesus is doing is he's, um, he's bringing up this metaphor that is found literally all throughout the scriptures of the Spirit as God's breath or the Spirit as God's wind. Uh, literally, the, the uh, word spirit in both Hebrew and Greek, it could either mean wind or spirit. If you can think of John 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He's probably in a storm, and he says to Nicodemus, the spirit blows where it will, and you can't control the spirit. And if you, hear that, if you heard that sentence, you could either take it as the wind blows where it will, or the spirit blows where it will. Uh, you can also think of when God created Adam. Right, he formed him out of the dust, and what did he do? He breathed on Adam. Um, you can also think of the, the Exodus. When the, when the waters parted, we're told that a mighty wind came. And that was the thing, that, that part of the, the, the seas. The Spirit is always associated with wind uh, or with God's power. And so what Jesus is doing to his disciples, other than breathing on them, is he is bestowing upon them the power of the Holy Spirit, which is God's power. And so he's empowering them to uh, go out and spread the gospel, okay? But we have to take this just a a little bit further. Um, Because right before he breathes on them, he tells them, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The news of the gospel is this, that God the Father sent his Son into the world to save us, okay? But how did the Father send his Son into the world? Well, at every big event, the empowering force was the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can think of the, uh, the birth of Christ, or the, the conception of Christ. How was Mary conceived? Well, it wasn't by the power of man. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus enters into his three-year ministry at age 30, he's baptized and he is anointed with the Holy Spirit. And he does miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he heals the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and later on, Paul tells us that when Jesus rose from the dead, that it was the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit that rose him from the dead. At every uh, big event within Christ's ministry, he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just that. Uh, it was that the Son and the Spirit worked in perfect harmony together throughout Jesus' entire life. Uh, In in fact, when you read Paul's letters, Paul stops calling the Spirit the Holy Spirit, and he starts to call the Spirit the Spirit of Christ. 
Because at every moment in his life, he is in perfect unison with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying yes to the Spirit at every step of his life. The Holy Spirit, throughout the New Testament, is Christ's Spirit. So here's the sequence. The Father sends the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. But now, but now, Jesus is about to ascend to be with the Father, and he's no longer going to be present. And he wants to continue his ministry. And so what Christ is doing is he has the Spirit, and he is bestowing that same Spirit that empowered Jesus to do everything on to the disciples. And what's happening here is that Jesus is continuing his ministry, no longer through his physical presence, but through the presence of the church. Through the presence of the church. Uh, Christ is continuing his mission of life-giving love, of love unto death, of giving oneself over for the sake of the world, no longer through his physical presence, but through his church. Okay? And Paul will go on to say that the church is not simply you know, a collection of individuals, but now the church, that it has the Spirit breathed into them by Christ. The Father sent the Son in the power of the Spirit. Now the Son hands over his Spirit to the church. The church is now the body of Christ. And, you know, there are theologians throughout history who have picked up on this, on this, um, on this uh, you know, succession of events where they say, you know what? The church is the continuation of Christ's mission on this earth such that we could even call the church the continuation of Christ's incarnation. And what they meant was this, that you know, if you want to find Christ anywhere, where do you find him? Is, is there a physical lo- locale where you can point to Jesus? Well, not his body because he's ascended and he's in heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. But if you want to find the physical Christ, the touchable Christ, the tangible Christ, a Christ who you can hug, a Christ that you can talk to, a Christ that you can confess your sins to, a Christ that you can live in, where do you go? The church. The church is Christ's continuation of his own ministry here on this earth. We are, right, we are the very hands and the feet, the wounded hands and the wounded feet of Christ on this earth. And if people want to find Jesus, where do they go? (laughs) They go to the church. Because it's the church that houses the very presence of Christ through his Holy Spirit. That's where Christ is. Now that was a lot. But I, just, I, want to bring this, I, want to, I want to bring this home here and, and, and finish here. How do we apply this, uh, this second point? Put yourselves again here in the disciples' shoes. They're afraid. And Jesus tells his disciples to go out into the world and give the same love that he just gave for them. As I just died for you. <laughs> now you go and give up your life for your enemies. Right? Now you go. And you lay down your life, and you go through the worst of pain for your enemies, to which we all say, no thanks. <laughs> I'll just go watch Netflix, thanks. Right? No thanks, that sounds awful, right? And, and that's the nature of sin. 
The nature of sin is to go inside, lock the door, and protect ourselves. It is not our own, within our nature to go out and to die for others. So how do we go? And how do we be the hands and the feet of Christ? Well, Jesus' answer is, you can't do that unless somehow I put myself inside of you. Unless somehow I transcend space and time and I live inside of you and I empower you to go out and to die for the sake of the world. And Jesus says, it's the Holy Spirit that makes that possible. It's the Holy Spirit that makes that possible. And, and just, just to illustrate this, and, and, then I'm, and then I'm done. You know, I am a horrible basketball player. I am just awful, like layups, everything. It just it doesn't go in the basket, you know. And I'm reminded of this every time I go over to the Fretwell's house because they have this huge basketball court in the back of their, 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 uh, their, their yard, and I pick up a basketball, and I try to put it in the hoop, and it just does not happen. It's just something wrong happens when I pick up a basketball. And I was especially reminded of this a few months ago. The men had this men's uh, event at, at the Fretwells, and they were going to play a basketball game. And I said, ah, yeah, you know, a good, a good little relaxing game of basketball. No, not relaxing. This was a bunch of, like, pros. Huh? You know, it's like they, they, they brought their basketball shoes. They brought their jerseys. Like, it was ridiculous. And so I'm on the team, and I'm just like, I don't want to be here anymore, you know? I, I can barely dribble. I can't shoot the ball. I, I'm, I'm dead weight, you know? I'm not helping anybody. But I just want you to think, what if, what if Michael Jordan were on that court? And he would mop the floor with those guys. You know, he'd be dunking from the third point line. He'd just be killing them. He'd be murdering them. And what if, and this is just me dreaming, what if Michael Jordan were somehow able to get into my skin, you know? And people didn't even know about it. They just couldn't even see it. And they're like, oh, Luke is this lousy basketball player. Nope, I have the power of Michael Jordan inside of me. That would just be amazing. These are all my dreams. But this is what Jesus is saying. I am sending you out into the midst of brokenness and hatred and evil into this world that you just can't contend with. It's the world that killed me, and I'm sending you out. How can you love? How can you proclaim? How can you declare the power of the resurrection without fear and without fearing death and all at the same time loving your enemies? How can you do what I did on the cross where I said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? You can't do it, but I can do it. And I will do it through you. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I've defeated death and now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I come to live inside of you. And as Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me and who loved me. That is the power that Jesus gives us. And he says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can become little Christ to the world. You can become a, con a continuation of my incarnation. You can become the very body, the broken body of Jesus Christ to the world. And it's by that love and by that proclamation that you will save the world. Let's pray.
Father, I just thank you uh, for the power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus doesn't just send us out alone. He sends us out with the word of peace, of victory, and he sends us out with the very power of his Holy Spirit. Help us to know that that's true and help us to go and to be sent on mission. Pray this in Christ's name.